Welcome back to Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show where we break down great retailers, supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, and senior retail analyst here at FreightWaves. And if you've been following along with the Point of Sale newsletter in recent months, I've been writing a lot about rapid delivery, whether it be through GoPuff or Gitter or Joker or many of the other players that are in this space. I've also been writing a lot about micro-fulfillment centers, whether it be Target and Walmart employing them and Amazon getting into the space, but also DoorDash and Instacart and everybody else uh, seemingly moving towards this method of fulfillment. Today, I've got one of the uh, foremost experts, really, on micro-fulfillment centers and on same-day delivery to talk about it with me is Britton Ladd. He is the Chief Supply Chain and Marketing Officer at KPI, which is a consultancy, Kiker Pulse Integration. Um, I want to bring on Britton here in a moment. I do want to take a moment to thank my sponsor, ArcBest. ArcBest is more than logistics. Whatever you do, whatever you ship, ArcBest makes it easier for you to do business. ArcBest combines reliable capacity, innovative technology, and trusted relationships to take the complexity out of your supply chain and keep your shipments moving. That's what makes ArcBest more than logistics. If you're joining us live on FreightWaves LinkedIn or FreightWaves TV, thanks so much for joining us. If you're listening on demand, go ahead and subscribe to Point of Sale if you like what you hear today or subscribe to Freightcast, where you can get all of FreightWave's audio feed right there in one tidy place. Britton, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for asking me to be here today. Absolutely, Britton. So you've been quoted on FreightWaves.com a couple times, but I do believe this is your FreightWaves TV debut. Uh, can you give us a little background on yourself, what came to be, how you came to be this expert on micro-fulfillment and same-day delivery? Well, I've been fortunate. I've lived and worked globally, traveled globally, and I've been very focused on supply chain logistics in my career. And several years ago, I really began to take an interest in micro-fulfillment. I designed one of the first micro-fulfillment centers. And I've just spent an awful lot of time working with the different companies in this field. And I really started to write my opinion on the topic in Forbes, different publications, and I posted a lot of information on LinkedIn. And that just allowed me to interact with an awful lot of people who are also working in this field. And I just became a thought leader through all of that effort. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into your time at Amazon and, and your building of micro or, or designing of micro fulfillment centers here in a bit. But let's start with just some of the recent news. Last week, you, you got quoted uh, in Mark Solomon's article on UPS and Roadie. You weren't exactly as keen on this acquisition or didn't think that UPS went as far as they could with this acquisition. Just give me your thoughts on the Roadie acquisition. Well, it's certainly a good first step for UPS. However, if you, you really look at it, what Roadie does and the volumes they ship, and you look at the size of UPS, it's really not going to be material um, to the UPS revenue. And I've written multiple articles on this, and I've communicated with people at UPS, and I've really been pushing them to think big. I think a much better acquisition for them to make would have, would have been acquiring the company Bring, B-R-I-N-G-G. That would have been a great acquisition. But the big thing that I was hoping that UPS would do is acquire the company GoPuff. Because what UPS really needs to do is not just deliver packages. UPS really needs to create an ecosystem. So how do we deliver the things that people want most? E-commerce. Uh, e-commerce packages, certainly food and certainly groceries. So acquiring GoPuff would have been a way for them to, to enter that field, 
to be able to acquire a company that's really the perfect size for them and to be able to scale it nationwide. I also stated in that article that I made the argument that really what UPS also needs to do is open up automated micro-fulfillment centers, and they could choose technology from Adabotics or Adverb, Autostore, Geek Plus, or so on. And what they could do is open up automated micro-fulfillment centers to fulfill closer to the customer. So Roadie is a good acquisition, but UPS is going to have to do much more. I love that idea, by the way. I've been saying for a long time, uh, for the last year or so, that GoPuff needs to get snatched up, especially, I think, in, from, the, from the logistics industry, it should get snatched up, either uh, from UPS or FedEx or some of these, a couple other players that could actually do it. I, I want to talk about, just briefly, because I don't want to spend too much time on it, on the union factor here with UPS, but I think it is important to talk about the Teamsters' uh, influence at UPS and their, you know, their desire to make sure that these are two separate networks and that there's, there's no freight taken out of the UPS network I just question, like, this is all, this is all good, uh, you know, this is all well until, let's say, uh, retailers start to ship from store more rather than ship from their fulfillment center that would have come through the UPS network. And now it's rather than being delivered by UPS, being delivered by Rody. And it seems like if they were go- to go into the micro-fulfillment space, they could, could take even more freight out of the UPS network. So what, what do you think the dynamic there is? Well, the way that I describe this is I say that the unions continue to fiddle while Rome burns. And all around them are changes taking place in their industry and what they do. If the Teamsters were smart, they really would elect officials who say, you know what, we need to stop pretending it's 1965 and understand it's 2021. And they need to look out there and say, there are so many changes taking place. Why can't we be part of the change versus instead of trying to hold on to the past, which is really what the unions are doing. So I believe what the, the Teamsters must do is come to the table with UPS and say, you know what, let us be part of us. Let us be part of this. Let us say, you know what, we can, we can bend our rules or we can, we can mend our rules, I should say, to where we can take part in working with UPS to develop a best-in-class capability for last-mile delivery that we should be smart enough to understand. Let's apply, the, apply science to logistics and have a science-based supply chain, a science-based network. And let us really look at all the things that make UPS special and say, how do we leverage these to create a best-in-class network, best-in-class last-mile delivery? And let's be smart and, and, and work with UPS to invest capital in micro-fulfillment. The idea that the, that the Teamsters want to protect uh, their territory and ensure that one package doesn't cross this imaginary barrier is frankly silly. And it's also going to be what kills the Teamsters eventually. The Teamsters either need to get smart, they need to have better directors, or what's going to happen is the Teamsters are just going to continue losing influence. And frankly, they're going to become a dinosaur and they're going to disappear just like the dinosaurs of the past. I'm glad and you- Please quote me on that. <laughs> I'm sure we'll clip that and share that all over social. That's great, Britain. Let's talk about a company that is definitely not a dinosaur. This company is moving very, very fast. We've already mentioned them here, and that's GoPuff. I want to talk about the model, though, and not only for GoPuff, but all of these uh, same-day or same-hour delivery companies. Is the vertical integration portion of it owning the actual inventory, is that pivotal to, for this model working? Because everybody wants everything really fast, and they really don't want to pay for delivery fees. It seems that GoPuff has a really good model here where they can make their margin on the inventory and not have to charge so much on the delivery, and they can, they can really create a, a valuable proposition to customers. 
Well, there are multiple ways you can do it. You could have a, a model where you own the inventory. You basically are taking possession of it. There's no doubt about that. But I don't want to give GoPuff too much credit. So okay. GoPuff today is, uh, is operating 250 micro-fulfillment centers, but all of them are manual. And so when I communicate with executives at GoPuff, I keep twisting the knife in them. And I keep pushing them to, to understand they need to raise more capital, about a billion dollars, and they need to invest that in automating the 250 micro-fulfillment centers they have. But for GoPuff to really be a nationwide player, they should operate between 500 to 750 automated micro-fulfillment centers, and they could have as many as 1,000, say, by 2030. So I'm not so caught up on who owns the inventory because let's look at what Instacart is doing. Instacart is wanting to partner with their grocery retail customers and say to the grocery retail customers, ship us your inventory to micro-fulfillment centers, to automated micro-fulfillment centers that we will open and run for you using a model I created called micro-fulfillment as a solution. The inventory comes to these facilities. The inventory goes inside the micro-fulfillment center, the robotics itself. And then some inventory is stored in racking. So you could have a hybrid model where the retailer owns all the inventory that goes into the micro-fulfillment center, but then it's a Instacart that takes possession of the inventory that's held in the racks. You could do something like that. So really what I want the audience to, to take away from this is that, number one, all retailers, all third-party shipping services, whether it's GoPuff or whether it's Shipped or Instacart, they all need to answer this question, what is our micro-fulfillment strategy? I can't stress that enough. This really is the future. It's here today. And it's the smart companies that are going to start introducing micro-fulfillment sooner rather than later. Britain, uh, on, you know, on the other hand, should retailers have be asking the same question? Should their CEOs be asking, where, what is our micro-fulfillment strategy? Not only allowing GoPuff and Shipped and them to be answering it, but the retailers themselves? 100%. And if you, the, the people who reach out to me on LinkedIn read my articles. And I've written multiple articles that Walmart and Amazon... Albertsons, HEB, Ahul, Delhaize, and especially Kroger. All of these retailers need to be asking the same question. What is our micro-fulfillment strategy? Then you have Macy's, you have Kohl's, you have Ulta Beauty. You have all of the general merchandise retailers, the department stores. All of them need to be asking the same question. What I'm really stressing to the retail industry is this. Your stores, in many ways, are becoming obsolete. A better way to think of your stores is how do I turn them into a big vending machine concept where I install micro-fulfillment centers in select department stores, select specialty stores, and I run those stores 24-7, 365 days a year so that customers can place an order. It can be fulfilled at the store. And the customer can either go pick it up or they can have a third-party gig worker go to that store take that product from a pickup window, and then deliver it to the customer. So stores are really just out of date, in my opinion. They sit there empty more than half of the day. But if they operated with a micro-fulfillment center inside, those stores could be generating revenue throughout the day, 24-7, 365. So yes, all retailers need to be asking the question, and I've done more research on this that I know of than anyone else in the world. This is really something I've dedicated the last three years of my life to. And I've yet to find an example where 
a retailer wouldn't benefit from some type of a micro-fulfillment capability, whether it's Ikea, Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, even if these are building supply companies, do-it-yourself companies, you know, companies like Costco, companies like BJ's Wholesale, like Sam's Club. To the credit of Walmart, they plan on opening up 100 micro-fulfillment centers inside select stores. But when you look at the fact that Walmart has nearly 5,000 stores in the U.S., they're really not thinking big enough. I think they're tiptoeing into this. And I believe what they need to do is jump in with both feet and they need to say three quarters or at a minimum half of our stores in the U.S. will have a micro-fulfillment center capability to where I'm leveraging that technology 24-7, 365. And if they do that, it's going to be very tough for Amazon to come out of nowhere and really beat them in the areas that Walmart wants to protect most, which is their grocery business. Yeah, this, uh, this battle reminds me a lot of what's going on in the freight space between legacy, um, legacy brokers and what they call digital freight brokers, these kind of legacy, these uh, new incumbents with lots of money that are coming in to digitize and modernize. So the, the incumbents are kind of left with this uh, difficult decision. They can take on short-term pain, invest uh, to an uncertain return, they can invest heavily right now and take in, take in short-term pain, or they can just kind of half it, a little hybrid model, one foot in, one foot out. And that's kind of been the model that most have gone by so far. But I, I do want to pause on the micro-fulfillment and come back to and really get detailed on what your favorite micro-fulfillment model is and, and some of the different models. But I did want to come back to Kroger and Instacart just because the news was, was topical last week. It, it seemed that Kroger has gone back and partnered with Instacart. Back in January, they had gone to the partner pick model, and it actually led to... Um, it led to a bunch of employees at Instacart getting laid off, about 1,800 of them there in February. But they've, they've gone away from that and are now partnering with, uh, with Instacart to do the picking and packing. Do you think that that is a sign of what the future holds, or is that just kind of a short-term labor pressure? It's really a short-term labor pressure, but we need to step back a bit. I, in 2017, I was hired by Kroger as a consultant, and I was the, the consultant who pushed Kroger to enter into an agreement with a company called Ocado. Mm -hmm. Actually, I wanted Kroger to acquire Okada. What I also did was push Kroger on the fact that they absolutely had to start with micro-fulfillment. Kroger chose not to do that. Kroger said, you know what? We actually would like to begin the relationship with Okada immediately. And I knew that was going to be a terrible idea for them. So what's happened is that although Kroger would like to end the relationship with Instacart and any other third party that they use, and they have a lot of respect for Instacart. Kroger really does. And I have a lot of respect for Instacart. But what Kroger's really looking to do is how do I create more of an automated fulfillment capability? And because they didn't start with micro-fulfillment, what they're realizing is that the Ocado model has a lot of holes in it. Ocado's great for fulfilling under certain circumstances, but Ocado is not the model you want to use if you want rapid delivery. And we can talk about the rapid grocery players from Europe that are moving to the U.S. at another time or during this discussion, if you want. These companies can make deliveries in as little as 15 minutes. You can't get anywhere near that with an Ocado model. So what Kroger's been doing to the credit of Kroger, they've been evaluating different micro-fulfillment systems on the market. I continue to recommend to Kroger to select uh, technology from a company called AutoStore or Geek Plus, or a company called Adverb. Then there's Adabotics Alert Innovation and several others out there, Berkshire Gray. So Kroger has a lot of options. But what Kroger has to do now is install these micro-fulfillment centers throughout their network 
be able to integrate more of what Okada was doing. And until they can automate, they really have no choice but to stick with Instacart. Now, this leaves Instacart with an opening because if Instacart would accelerate their investment in micro-fulfillment centers, micro-fulfillment as a solution, they legitimately could go to Kroger and say, time out, you don't need to invest this capital in micro-fulfillment. We're doing it. And why don't you outsource your same-day delivery, your 30-minute delivery, all of that to us. We'll do all fulfillment, plus we'll do delivery. And Kroger, what you do is leverage your large customer fulfillment centers from Okado to feed our mm-hmm. fulfillment network, our micro-fulfillment network. So there's some really cool things that I think can happen here. But is this strategic to Kroger? No, I like to say companies make decisions for two reasons, inspiration and desperation. This is really a desperate move on the part of Kroger. They have to do something to stop the bleeding. There's really nothing inspirational about this at all to me. Britton, explain, explain to everyone just how, uh, just how bad <laughs> manually picking and packing online orders and dropping them at the curb or having somebody pick up in line can be for a grocer's bottom line. Well, in all honesty, I've been quoted and I stand behind this. I've stated for many years, the dumbest business model ever created was online grocery fulfillment. And manually is what I should have is added to that. Rube Goldberg so machine. I'm sorry? It's a, it's a Rube Goldberg machine. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, so the problem is this. When you fulfill from a grocery retailer store, you have to hire third-party workers, either from Shipt or Instacart, or you can even use your own employees. And what they do is, is they push carts all up and down the aisle. They're called pickers. And we see them every time we go to the grocery store now. They're in all the aisles. They're picking the best product off the shelf or the last product off the shelf. And this is really costly to the retailer. What's amazing to me is how few people understand that when a grocery retailer fulfills an online order, on average, they lose between $7-$15. In some cases, they can lose as much as $25. And I know this because I validated that in my own research. And there's a man named Mark Wolfrat. I respect him tremendously. He's one of my uh, favorite individuals to speak with in this industry. He's done much more research on this than me, and he's also validated these numbers. So you could imagine a grocery retailer prior to the pandemic, only 3% of their sales were online. So they could have cared less about online. They thought it was a fad. They laughed at it and they're like, you know what? We'll, we'll outsource that to Instacart. Who cares? Then the pandemic hits and online becomes more than 50% of their business. Now the problem is, Although online ordering and delivery has decreased, it's still about 15 to 30% of most grocery retailers' business. So now grocery retailers are going the home alone phase, and they're saying to themselves, we're losing money on every single order we fulfill. So that's why they are desperately looking at micro-fulfillment solutions. But really what they were wishing for and hoping for is someone who can do micro-fulfillment as a solution. And again, GoPuff has an opportunity to do this. Instacart has an opportunity to do this. But let's also not overlook that DoorDash has a tremendous opportunity to do this. I think DoorDash should acquire GoPuff. I think Uber should acquire GoPuff. I think Instacart should acquire GoPuff. So the few companies have an ability that if they make the right investment, they can become major players 
working with grocery retailers to pull all the online fulfillment from out of their stores, put that into micro-fulfillment centers, turn the stores back over to the customer only, remove all pickers from the store. So now retailers have a much better store experience. But what retailers also can do is build smaller stores because they're not going to need to have the same size store if 20 or 30 percent of their business is online. And that's now being fulfilled from a third party using their own facilities. So I'm not a big fan of manual online grocery fulfillment. I do think it's just a bogus business model. I've never liked it. I've never agreed with it. But you had to start somewhere. Well, now the technology is here. And the smart executives, they're the ones who are going to be saying, what is our robotic strategy and what is our micro-fulfillment strategy? Britton, your favorite, I think your favorite of the micro-fulfillment kind of models is to just put it right in the heart of the store. Can you explain why that that could be so important or at least, you know, just explain what your favorite um, micro-fulfillment model is. I think it is to put them in the heart and tell me why. Well, if the store is physically able to do that, you have to have certain ceiling heights, um, you have to have certain abilities of the floor to support the weight. Most stores have this, some don't. But yes, I've been a big fan. So in 2013, I designed one of the first micro-fulfillment center concepts. And it's in a, a research paper called A Beautiful Way to Save Woolworths. And I applied game theory to the grocery industry. You can go to my LinkedIn profile. And under articles, you'll find the research report, A Beautiful Way to Save Woolworths. And in that article, I also became the first person to recommend to Amazon to acquire Whole Foods. And when I designed this store concept, and I designed these stores for Amazon to build, I made the argument to Amazon that if you put some type of a micro-fulfillment center in the middle of a store, or you build a second floor, and you put the micro-fulfillment center on the second floor, you can remove all of the center store aisle items, which nobody cares about. Who's going to miss rows of Campbell's soup, pork and beans, um, green beans, and so forth? That inventory easily could be placed inside a micro-fulfillment system. And technically, you could put these in the center of a store. They don't take up the space anywhere that people think, but you actually can decorate them in a certain way to, their, to where they are really cool. And to see what this would look like, I encourage everyone to go to a website from a company called Kuwachi, C-U-H-A-C-I, Kuwachi and Peterson. And they have videos that they created of what would it look like if you put this concept in a store. There's a company called Alert Innovation, a man named John Lert, who at nearly the exact same time I was coming up with my design he came up with nearly the exact same design. Now, I give John credit for coming up with a better design than me. I think his design's really cool. He created a concept called the Nova Store, mm -hmm. and you can go to the Alert Innovation website and see that video, and it demonstrates how easily you could put micro-fulfillment in a store. The reason why I prefer the model is the store's already been built. You don't have to build another building. It's a sunk cost. It has an operating model. It already has labor in place. And all you're really going to have to do is invest in the micro-fulfillment. You remove the aisles. That's a very low-cost refurbishment requirement in the store. And it also has an established customer base. Customers are already coming in the store. You don't have to advertise for them to come in, so you don't have a customer acquisition cost. So when you add all that together, that's why my preferred model is to put micro-fulfillment in the store. But you don't have to put these in all stores. The rule of thumb is one micro-fulfillment center can fulfill groceries for up to 20 
and in some cases, 25 other stores. So you put a micro-fulfillment center in a store that's centrally located in a cluster of grocery stores. So that's why I'm a big fan of the model. It's just one of many models you can use. But personally, if I say ran Kroger, or Albertsons, all of Delays, my stores strategically located would have micro-fulfillment centers inside. Like there's, I love this idea, by the way. And I, um, one reason is I, I make it a point when I go shopping to stay on the outside of the store where the, all the fresh stuff is, typically the healthier stuff is, oftentimes the cheaper stuff if you know how to cook it, right? This also kind of just gets people out of the middle of the store uh, just naturally as a shopper, which I, I really do like. Um, and forgive me if I'm woefully ignorant here, but I'm thinking of Urbex Logistics and their kind of micro-fulfillment towers. And I'm trying to, in my mind, you know, compare them to Okado and understanding why the, the Okado-Kroger model is, uh, is it better or worse off than the Urbex Logistics model? Is it just simply the fact that they're building these micro-fulfillment towers like right in the middle of the population center? Is that really the only big difference here? Well, no, actually it's not. What really separates Urbex, and let's make sure that we... We do not oversell Urbex. Urbex has not built a single store. Right. They have not manufactured any of their technology. However, they are having discussions with very large grocery retailers. They're having discussions with some very large third-party delivery companies, restaurant delivery companies. So they are a very young startup. However, I give them credit for coming up with what I consider to be really one of the best designs for grocery because it is a tower that's much easier to build a vertical tower than to build a large horizontal store. And the vertical towers, if the technology works as designed, you could pick a 50-item order in about one minute and 38 seconds. And that includes picking chilled and frozen. Now, I've been very open to the team at Urbex where I've said, I have to see that to believe it. I think it's going to be a little challenging because I'm struggling to understand really how they're going to have frozen and chilled in a vertical environment um, because of how the technology is supposed to work. That's going to be a struggle. I think they can do it, but it's going to be a little challenging. The other thing that we have to take into account is that what makes the Urbex model interesting is it could be a store, a full-fledged 50,000 SKUs in a vertical tower, which is the same amount as you find in large supermarkets. And customers could go up and they could order from there. It's delivered to them in a matter of a few minutes and off they walk, or they can place an online order and it would be delivered to them in about 15 minutes to 30 minutes. But what makes Urbex even more unique is they have a curbside pickup model where it allows customers to place the order, the technology fulfills the order, and then the customer goes to the store of their choice, and that's where they would pick up the groceries. And that's what's generating a lot of interest from many of the leading grocery retailers who are looking at this and saying, wait a minute, this is actually better than anything we've come up with. The technology, if it works as design, will certainly be faster than what we're doing and also, it's a better model, or I shouldn't say it's a better model, it's more of a unique model, because it's not a true micro-fulfillment center. You would have the ability also to walk into the store and in certain designs, and you could buy fresh food, frozen products on your own there while the center store all items are fulfilled. So keep an eye on Urbex. They are in discussions. Um, I'm waiting for them to get the capital funding that they need. And I've been pushing them that regardless of whatever you're doing, all that matters is building one proof of concept, proving it works, 
And then finding that one first customer who says, yes, I agree that the proof of concept meets our needs. And then we can buy several hundred or a thousand or whatever of these curbside pickup stores, or we start to scale this model, building vertical stores and the curbside pickup model. So on a high level, that's really what, what Urbex is all about. But without having any stores in place, I just cannot come out and really say they're the best or anything like that because I haven't seen any of it in, in action yet. Britton, we've, we've spoken for almost 30 minutes here. Unfortunately, we're coming up on time. I'm telling the production team to give us a few more minutes here. But I, I wanted to ask about Amazon. We haven't, we haven't really spoken in depth about Amazon yet. Uh, just a couple of the, the, the notes that have come up in recent weeks. They've, they've, they've jumping into the Florida market with a drive through grocer. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. The whole Florida market seems to be heating up a lot with Ocado and, uh, and Kroger there as well. And I kind of just wanted to get more thoughts on Whole Foods. You, you had spoken about, uh, I think, any of any grocer, uh, if, when you walk in there, when it comes to picking and packing, I think Whole Foods has done the worst of it, at least with it, with the damage to customer experience. There's way more pickers than there are shoppers, and they've gotten rid of some of the fresh areas and the delis that were kind of the calling cards for the store to make room for picking and packing. So I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on Whole Foods and Amazon, and as well as uh, Amazon's kind of drive-through grocer in Florida. So let's talk about the drive-through grocer. It's in, going, going to be in Boca Raton, Florida. Amazon actually built in 2017 and 2018 several drive-through models. And so this is something Amazon's already good at. They've tested it. So I have great expectations for the store in Boca Raton. And I'm really watching this because I believe this is going to be the store that Amazon's going to build their largest micro-fulfillment center inside. And I believe it will look very similar to John Lurt's Nova store, or it will look like the design that I created for Amazon. So I'm really watching that. And I believe this is going to be the model that we'll see Amazon scale uh, nationwide. I think now Amazon's really waiting to unveil their best store model. In regards to, um, in regards to some of the other things that you talked about as far as Amazon and Whole Foods, you know, as the person who first recommended Amazon to acquire Whole Foods, I also warned Amazon, you have to get rid of John Mackey, the founder and CEO mm -hmm. of Whole Foods, Amazon chose not to do that. I said to Amazon, you cannot retain the same amount of assortment and same type of assortment in Whole Foods stores because a limited number of people shop at Whole Foods. The reason why John Mackey had to sell Whole Foods to Amazon is he couldn't scale it anymore. There weren't enough people interested in buying only products with natural ingredients. I said to Amazon, if you acquire Whole Foods, change the name to Whole Foods Plus, and also introduce the best of the best branded CPG products, the best selling, the Coke, the Pepsi, the Frito-Lay, all of that stuff, and have a model where you say you get the best of organics and the best of branded CPG products. Amazon didn't want to fight that fight, and they made a big mistake. So what's happened is Amazon has had Whole Foods now for several years, and sales are not increasing, they're actually decreasing. During the pandemic, Whole Foods was one of the few retailers to lose customers. Why? Because people can't shop for everything they want at Whole Foods. So I've started to write articles and I've had discussions with people at Amazon and I've been very clear to them. You've done nothing to improve Whole Foods. You've done nothing to prove you're better at running Whole Foods than John Mackey and the prior executive team. So my argument to Amazon is divest Whole Foods. I believe that Target, the retailer Target, should buy Whole Foods and then Target should open up 
am, uh, should open up Whole Foods markets inside the majority of Target stores, plus exp- uh, plus scale the model um, and build more Whole Foods stores outside. I think Target's culture really is better for Whole Foods. And what I think Amazon should look at doing is, number one, acquire Kohl's, open up Amazon markets inside each Kohl's store, and then keep investing in Amazon branded stores like they're building in Boca Raton and building in other areas across the United States as well. But it would be interesting for Amazon to say, well, maybe we should look at acquiring GoPuff, or maybe we should look at acquiring DoorDash or something like that. Um, Amazon's got a lot of options, but what I, I don't believe Whole Foods is worth keeping for Amazon. And I used to do M&A work, and you always looked at what was called fit. I don't think it fits Amazon's business model. And I don't think there's more value to Amazon for holding on to Whole Foods. I think they generate more value from Whole Foods by divesting. Yeah, I, don't, I can't disagree with that. Uh, I really can't. I mean, and I, I like Target as a fit there. A better merchandiser, I think. A better uh, product curator, better assortments, uh, better, way better with owned brands, I think. That could be a really good fit there. Uh, Britton, this has been this has been really fun, man, and I've really enjoyed it. I wish we had two hours to do this. I'll have to bring you back here in the coming weeks, maybe closer to Christmas, and we'll talk about the holiday season. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. I really enjoyed being here. Hey, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or KPI, where should we send them? Just reach out to me uh, via LinkedIn, or you can email me at Britton.lad at KPISolutions.com. Most people just reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I have a rule that within 24 to 48 hours, I always respond. And you're more than will, you're more than welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn and ask me anything. Yeah, I can, uh, I can say he does reach out very fast. I think it was within 30 minutes when I reached out to you, you were back to me. And he has a fantastic uh, LinkedIn, not to toot your own horn, but you, uh, you have a great LinkedIn. I, I highly recommend everybody to go and follow him. Great posts all the time. All right, everyone, that's been episode 22 of the Point of Sale Show, the retail supply chain show where we break down great retailers Uh, great retailers, the supply chains that move them and the data they use to make decisions. If you haven't subscribed to the Point of Sale newsletter, go ahead and do that now. You can go to freightwaves.com slash POS. I write that twice weekly on Mondays and Thursdays. You can get more in-depth coverage on all of the things moving throughout the retail supply chain. Uh, And also subscribe to Point of Sale on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, or of course, subscribe to Breakcast. We are off next week because we've got a webinar. Uh, We've got the Q3 recap webinar for the retail supply chain coming up next Wednesday at 2.30 with Arc Best. So join us right here on Freight Waves. See you then. 